You can take a seat and open your Bibles to Psalm 88. Open your Bibles in whatever form they are, whether it's on your phone or whether it's hard copy Bible, Psalm 88. We are in a series, This Is Us, The Only You God Can Change is the Real You. And today we're going to talk about anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression. Before we do, I want to make one statement. Uh, The last time I was up here and taught, I made an extemporaneous, which means unplanned decision, very quickly before I got on stage to teach from a version of the Bible called the Passion Translation. After I had taught from it, I had some things brought to my attention about the translation, which made me know that that actually was a bad move. I think it's a Great thing to read from multiple translations of many kinds. This really is a paraphrased version of the Bible, but there are things behind it that make me believe it's a bad move. And what I want you to hear now is that we take the Bible really, really seriously and believe that in it is the power of God's word. And so I just want to recognize ultimately the mistake of doing something um, that extemporaneously was just not a good move. So on that note, we are now going to read from Psalm 88, Verses 1 through 6. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead. Like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest of depths. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you'd speak to us this morning in uh, very direct and personal ways. God, our desire of this series um, was to display who we really are as just all of us, as the people of God, and to acknowledge what all of us are going through and how you meet us in what we're going through. So God, um, show the realism of life this morning and show your presence in the midst of it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So I love the quote, pain is life. Pain is life, and anybody who says differently is trying to sell you something. Does anybody know where that's from? The Princess Bride. Pain is life, your highness, and anybody that tries to tell you different is selling you something. But that statement is so true. Pain is life. And whether the advertisers want to communicate a reality of life that isn't true to life because they're trying to sell something, or it's somebody walking into a room trying to present an image of themselves that has overcome or transcended pain, they're trying to sell you something that isn't true. And many of us have felt like the church is a place we have to walk into and sell something. And if we don't live up to whatever is ultimately being sold, we're in the wrong. There must be something wrong with us. Rather than recognizing pain is life, And we need to be open with each other about it. We need to be open with ourselves about it. And certainly we need to be open with God about it. The psalmist in Psalm 88 speaks to this truth. And here's the first 
thing I want you to see, which may be the most important thing of all, given where so many of us live, and it's this. Believing Christians struggle with depression and anxiety, and it can last a really long time. I was listening to a message by Tim Keller regarding this, and he made this point of it lasting a long time, but the most helpful part, I think, is the statement, believing Christians struggle with depression and anxiety. Believing Christians. Look at the very first verse. Lord, you are the God who saves me. This is in holy scripture. I'm certain the man who's writing this is a believer and he declares it. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. My prayer comes before you. Turn your ear to my cry. And then he says, I am overwhelmed with trouble. With troubles, plural. And my life draws near to death. Believing Christians struggle with depression and anxiety. The psalmist proves it. But so do so many other biblical characters. If you looked at the Hall of Fame of Faith that people call Hebrews chapter 11, and you look at so many of them, but let's just take one, Moses. Serious anxiety is what leads Moses to kill the Egyptian. Serious anxiety is what leads Moses to flee Serious anxiety is what leads Moses to refuse the call of God upon his life. David, who writes a lot of the Old Testament, most of the Psalms, a man who much of the Old Testament is about, who's spoken of as a man after God's own heart, would basically hold every clinical diagnosis, if you read the Psalms, his journals, every clinical diagnosis of a mental health disorder. There's times you're like, this guy's schizophrenic. He has a personality disorder. He's dealing with chronic anxiety, debilitating anxiety. He's dealing with clinical depression, and he's called a man after God's own heart. Church history shows that many bulwarks of the faith, people we look at and would go, those are heroes of the faith in the history of the church, have struggled with debilitating anxiety and dark depression. Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, people even that the outside world that aren't Christians look at like Mother Teresa, all struggled with these things. And the truth is, and much of this led us to this series, is people in our own congregation. I received an email this week in particular from a woman who's been a part of our church for a very long time, and she says this, Dear Tyler, you are in my prayers for this Sunday's sermon on depression and anxiety. I am a chemically depressed person and have been on medication since 1980. I did have a huge issue with anger over my childhood, etc. After years of intense counseling and healing, I thought maybe I didn't need my medication anymore. Boy, did I ever crash and burn over trying to not take it. I am happily and thankfully on my medications and I am an elderly productive woman. I know there are those who think all depression is sin, period, capitals capital P, capital E, capital R, capital I, capital O, capital D. That is so wrong. I am an example of a healed and a forgiven person. Now let me start by saying this. This topic is really complex. And there are things I know personally from my own life. There are things I know as a father. There are things I know as a friend and there are things I know as a pastor. 
But there is a whole host of things I don't know. There are people in this room with far more experience and expertise when it comes to mental health conditions that I don't know. This is a complex topic, but what I know from the scripture is believing Christians struggle and continue to struggle and will continue to struggle with depression and with anxiety, and it can last a really long time. And the psalmist shows us that. Here's the other thing this psalm shows us, is that anxiety and depression are overwhelming, and they feel, physically feel overwhelming. He says in verse 3, I am overwhelmed with troubles. My life draws near to death, and I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. Now, let me just stop for a minute and talk about the realism of the Bible, because if you've experienced significant anxiety significant depression, it legitimately feels like all of your physical strength has been sucked out of you. He knows that. He's experienced it. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, who you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. Anxiety and depression feel like something. And let me start by saying this. There are grades of anxiety and grades of depression. Everybody in this room Everybody has experienced low-grade anxiety, and many of you are experiencing it even now or will experience it today. And then grades go up. Everybody in this room has encountered and experienced sadness that takes you off. But there are also those in this room who deal with debilitating anxiety and what would be labeled chronic depression, darkness that just doesn't break. That's the kind of darkness that the psalmist is speaking of and so therefore applies to the deepest of depression, the deepest of despair, the ultimate anxiety and all the low-grade versions of this. But it feels ways, physically feels. Anxiety doesn't just metaphorically or in a simile sense feel like an elephant on your chest. It is honestly an elephant's on my chest. I can't sleep at night. I can barely breathe. Anxiety that honestly clouds your vision. Things don't look the same size that they ultimately would look. Pins and needles are all over my body. I feel like I have no strength left to walk. Darkness that is palatable, not figurative, that it literally feels like you're pressed underwater and there is no light of day and you can't breathe darkness. The psalmist feels that kind of darkness. He's encountering that type of anxiety and he goes on. The psalmist builds, I'm overwhelmed with troubles, but then he begins to do things, say things to God. You have put me in the lowest pit. You've put me in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavy on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your ways. You've taken away my closest friends and made me repulsive to them. I am confined and I can't escape. My eyes are dim with grief. Now here's what's interesting about anxiety and depression. Is they create a feedback loop. A feedback loop that just fuels itself. 
So in the end, there's a reality to depression and anxiety that circumstances, what you're in the midst of, your health, your loss, your disappointment, silence, the absence of friends can create anxiety and create depression. But there's another thing that's also true that doesn't negate that fact. It's that you can experience things so deep within you, a darkness so deep, fear that runs through your entire being, that it affects the way you see things. So whether this psalmist's friends have actually abandoned him or just perceptively abandoned him, the way he feels is real. Do you see what I'm saying? It may be that his friends really did abandon him and maybe because of his anxiety and depression that he's repulsive, like you're a load. And some of you in this room have heard people say that. This is exhausting. And people begin to remove themselves from you. But it's also true that anxiety and depression can create a feedback loop that affects your vision that you say, I have no friends. And your friends would go, that's a lie. All my friends have left me. And they're like, then why am I right here? But you perceive it that way. In this, you watch it in this psalm, is it's a feedback loop. They feed each other. So now tell me if this isn't true. You experience anxiety, fear of something. It could be totally irrational that you feel, and now you experience deep anxiety, and you might even have a panic attack. But now, what your anxiety is based upon is that you're anxious, that you're anxious. So now I'm anxious that I'm anxious, or now as my anxiety subsides, my anxiety is because I don't ever want to have a panic attack like that again. I felt it so much in my body, I don't want to feel that again. So now I'm anxious that I'm anxious, or depression. I get depressed, I feel despair deep down, it feels like I'm in the lowest pit, it feels like God's silent, it feels like he's utterly absent, I'm deeply disappointed, and now I maybe see the light of day and now I'm depressed that I'm depressed. I'm anxious that I might be depressed again, or I'm sad of going, I should be better than this. I'm depressed that I'm depressed, or I'm anxious now about getting depressed, or I'm depressed that I'm anxious. Every expert, whether they be Christian or not, would say something has to stop the feedback loop. And the first thing many experts will say is you have to just acknowledge that it is depression or that it is anxiety. And here's why they say that. Because many times, hear me on this, we multiply our sufferings. We do. Because we try to run. I feel anxious and I try to run from my anxiety. But don't forget, you're the one who's anxious. So if I'm the one who's anxious and I'm like, anxiety, and I try to run from my anxiety. Now I'm like, get away from anxiety. Right? I stop. What's still there? My anxiety. So now all this stuff builds up in my mind. It's worse. And I run from it again and I'm still anxious. Or I'm depressed. And I try to run from my depression. Rather than going, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. They'll go, that acknowledgement can break a feedback loop. But I would say not ultimately. The psalmist knows what ultimately, whether he knows or God's driving him there, the ultimate breaker of this negative, self-perpetuating feedback loop is God. Period. The ultimate breaker of the feedback loop is that you bring these things to God honestly. Anxiety and depression feel overwhelming, but here's the truth. True faith demands honesty. Real faith, true faith demands honesty. And let me just say this, God can handle it. Do you know the book of Psalms is written to us to teach us to pray? 
The Psalms are filled with the psalmists communicating their depression, their anxieties, their disappointments. At times, oftentimes, in ways that sound blasphemous. That's a big word that just means like, you can't say that stuff to God. Like, he'll squash you if you say stuff like that. But he's going, here's the book of prayers, and constantly, psalmists are making accusations of God based upon how they really feel. I mean, look at this psalm. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, who remember whom you, watch him start accusing God, whom you, God, remember no more. Now you're like, does God really not remember people? Who are cut off from your care, God. You, you God, you are the one who's put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. Now at every moment I can go, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. So is this an unhealthy prayer? You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have taken all of my closest friends from me. They didn't leave. You took them from me. And if you have made me repulsive to them, I'm confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. Here's what I want to tell you. Those are healthy prayers, not unhealthy prayers. The Psalms are given to teach us to pray because the only you God can change is the real you. So let me just let you breathe for a minute to just say this. Real faith, true faith demands honesty. And here's the deal. God can handle it. You understand? You're not going to put God in a corner crumpled up, discouraged because of what you just said to him. He's saying to me, cast your burdens upon me. He's putting this psalm in the Bible because he starts with God. He says, God, you're a savior. God, turn your ear to me. But now I'm going to be honest with you. There's a whole tradition, a biblical tradition and a history in the church called prayers of lament. In prayers of lament, in simple way for all of us to understand it, are complaints. But can we complain against God? God can handle your complaints. God can deal with your complaints and handle your complaints. And you want to know what else God can do? God can change you. The utmost of pride is trying to say, I won't go to God and I'll deal with it on my own. So let me just say to you, regardless of where you are in your faith, let me ask everybody a question. Do you have times in your life where you don't know what to do? Do we have times in our lives where we know we can't fix it? Do we have times in our lives that are ultimately overwhelming? The essence of pride is saying, you know what, I'm gonna do it myself. Faith turns to God, period. God is strong enough to disrupt your complaints. And at times, as you're complaining, and you're complaining to God, there's this moment where God may say, like he did to Job, or like he tells the psalmist, like, I'm God in heaven, you're on earth. Let your words be few. And then at the end of the whole day, Job says, hey, listen, before my ears had heard of you, now my eyes have seen. But here's the mandate. It's not a biblical teaching to say, don't be honest with God. The call is be honest with God. True faith fundamentally is honest. And here's the statement. It grows our faith. Anxiety and depression train us 
in grace. Praise be to God, Arizona is one of two places in the country that have Major League Baseball spring training. Praise be to Jesus that I live in one of two of those places. The last couple of years, there have been these shirts that the big league teams wear that say, train to rain. Every team wears it. So when the Rangers wear it, you're like, that's a ridiculous shirt to wear because you're not going to rain. But when the Dodgers wear it, when the Yankees wear it, when the Astros wear it, you're like, okay, but it's train to rain. Do you know in a very real way, God is training us to reign? Do you know the Bible says that we are sons and daughters of God, heirs of the kingdom, that we will reign with Christ? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Do you want to know how God trains us to reign? Suffering. Suffering. Because suffering trains us in grace. What do I mean? When suffering comes upon you, like debilitating anxiety and the darkness of despair and depression and incredible discouragement, you get to this certain point where you go, there's nothing I can do. The circumstances of life presented as such and everything within you wants to complain against other people. And you may go to social media and you complain and God's going, I'm telling you to complain, complain to me, not to other people. You complain everywhere, but the circumstances finally drive you to a point where you go, I can't do anything about it. And then it turns you inward, and then you're going like, in the darkest of times, you're going, I can't even believe God. And you begin to question, am I even a Christian? And God's training you in grace going, you want to know what faith is? It's all me. You have to ask to even believe me. This moment going, God, I can't even pray in moments when you get trained in such a way to go, I want to pray, I know I should pray, and maybe I can barely utter the word God, and then you just stand on the truth that he says the Holy Spirit will pray on your behalf in groanings that are too deep for words, and you go, I'm just hanging my hat on that. I'm going to let the Spirit pray on my behalf right now. Or it says that Christ is our greatest advocate, and I'm leaning on the fact that Christ is praying for me, and what it's teaching you is that it was all God from the beginning. You're going, well, now that I'm suffering, it doesn't mean I don't obey. You're still calling me to obey, but I don't even have the strength to pray, let alone the strength to obey. And he goes, you are never supposed to be serving in the strength that you supplied and conjured up anyways. And in fact, the Bible teaches you that all the things you did, quote, unquote, for God in your own strength will burn in the judgment. And the exhortation of God through Peter and 1 Peter is serve in the strength he supplies. And you begin to understand it was all grace, meaning it was all God from beginning, all of the middle, and ultimately the end. It's God. And suffering trains us in that, which what it builds is intimacy. What it builds ultimately is intimacy, this kindergarten truth of the Bible, that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. God wants you, and he wants you to have him. And suffering trains that. I got nothing. God, you got to believe on my behalf if I'm going to believe right now. You have to pray on my behalf if I'm going to pray. And you certainly have to obey and love other people on my behalf if I'm going to love suffering, anxiety, and depression train us in grace. One of the things I love about the Bible is how it speaks to the fatherhood of God and the trustworthiness of God. He understands. 
listen to me in this, just listen to me in this. He gets it and he understands. Look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 5 that speaks not just about a priesthood, but a royal priesthood, the high priest. A priest was one who represented God to the people and the people to God. And it's speaking of Jesus as that high priest. Now, Jesus is God. Okay, can I get an amen? Jesus is God. And God is like Jesus. We don't have a high priest. He's speaking about Jesus. So you could say, we don't have a God who is unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way we have. Just as we are, yet he did not sin. What's that saying? God's experienced anxiety. Don't believe me? You tell me what Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane wasn't anxiety. God's experienced deep, dark sadness and depression. The difference is when we run to immediate relief in places that aren't God, he never did that. So he encountered anxiety at levels we've never encountered. He experienced darkness and despair before and on the cross that we've never even experienced. And what does that mean? He says, we have a faithful and reliable high priest who can empathize with us in our weaknesses. And you want to know that the conclusion of that passage is, therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence. You can go there. When he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, he understands. Here's the last thing. Hope is the thing we need in the midst of depression and anxiety. And hope lies on the other side of suffering. We try to run away from suffering, and hope lies on the other side of suffering. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 speaks about how we can rejoice even in our sufferings. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Glorying in your sufferings? Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Other translations say endurance. Perseverance, character. In character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because it's all God. God's love, God's love, his love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Can I get an amen? amen. One of the best illustrations by far is real life stories. Jed Mon wrote a song that we are going to sing and have sung over us here in just um, a minute. But before he does, I want us to hear the story behind this song. So would you guys welcome Jed? I think that was his wife that just screamed for him. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Good, 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 good. So when I told Jed I wanted him to do this, um, he looked at me like, uh, what? But I want, this series is called This Is Us, and I just want to make this statement up front. There's a tendency for many of you to think that the people on stage have it wired. Um, that's not true. This is us, all of us in the midst of this. This is human experience with God, and this story is tremendous um, beyond the song that God gifts us with. And I believe in all my heart, this is a gift of God. It's a song called Stronghold. So Jed, will you just talk to us a bit about what was going on in your life and maybe the context that gave birth to the song? 
Yeah, no, I, I told you earlier that I feel like this morning I kind of just remembered that, you know, there was a, a lot of prayer going on in my life uh, specifically about asking God that he would bring about a dependence on him. And a year ago, uh, in August, my, my daughter was born. And before that was basically when I was on my knees the most. And it was, um, it was just I was a lot of fear. And I was really afraid of the task at hand. And, you know, there's a lot of dads in the room. So, I mean, you know, it, it felt a little uh, pathetic to, to feel that way. Um, but it nonetheless made me very, very scared. And uh, because I know what I'm capable of. And I was honestly, like, in the purest form of it, just worried about messing this kid up and messing up the, the role of being a dad. And so that's where my prayer started and I don't think I realized that this that that my prayers there kind of linked to this season that came afterwards but but pretty soon afterwards I don't know what sparked it but um but just a maybe a year of just dark darkness and and depression and just like dealing with and honestly my depression was surrounded in in doubt uh which is uh, hard to talk about when you're standing in front of your brothers and sisters and you you lead them in, in worship and, and these songs of faith and things like that. And and I'm, every time I would take the microphone or, or in any context, feel very, very much um, uh, like a hypocrite. And, and so um, because I was just dealing with such a doubt and, and, the, and the deceptiveness, like the deceptive nature of of the adversary is just so wild because in one moment I'd be doubting the existence of God. Um, and then in the next moment I'm completely believing in the wrath of God and doubting my position with God and my standing, uh, spiritually with God. And so like there was no, there was no rhyme or reason to it. It was just any lie that could get through. I mean, my head and my heart was believing all of it. And, and it just, plunged me I plunged me and into just it's just a looming cloud over my life like for a year and the, and, the, and my wife is sitting in this room and it, it affected it affected our relationship you know and it was it affected me and how I was a father and you know all these fears that I had felt like they were the reality of the, like man you are gonna mess this up you know like and and uh, you know I, to even be a strong spiritual leader it wasn't even an option in my mind I thought you know so can you it, talk real quick about just the anguish of to be a spiritual leader at home but then to transcend to like I'm now supposed to be a worship leader and I have huge doubts of all kinds just the anguish of that maybe just speak to that for a minute yeah uh since I since I started leading worship I've, I feel like um I've constantly had the battle of feeling like, you know, even if I'm not dealing with doubt, if I'm dealing with sin in any way, shape, or form, it really makes me feel disqualified to be up here and doing what I'm doing. And so um, the, you know, that battle that always goes on for anyone who's up on the stage is um, when it's uh, translated into my own home, you know, hmm. that's, that's, uh, that's very rough. You know, and so, um, yeah. That's great. Talk about the context in which the song begins to come together. Because as I understand the story, it's not like, you know what? I'm going to write a song. 
about this experience. That's not how this one came together. Will you talk about how it came together? Yeah. Uh, honestly, there was a lot of times where I kind of just uh, came to the word of God very desperate and like kind of would just ask God to say anything. And I, and I, if I'm being completely honest, hesitated coming to scripture because for this season of time dealing with doubt, like no matter when I came to the word of God, it felt like it was condemning me. And every word that came from Jesus's mouth felt like it was, it wasn't freedom. It felt like it was like, you know, you are, you are the outsider. And that was the lies that was just being spoken. And so, so I had, I had a moment, um, I was sitting outside of the commons and I just had this moment where I flopped my Bible open again and it was just like kind of out of desperation. And I was just like, God, I just need anything, like anything. Cause I'm like, I cannot, I cannot function like this. And this is, um, this is wrecking me and, and just happened to turn to first John three and I'm scanning the paragraphs and I see the word reassure. And so I'm immediately drawn to that word. And, uh, and the, the passage was, um, by this we know that we're of the truth, and it'll reassure our hearts before God that even when our own hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And for me, I was like, I just, my heart was condemning me, and I needed, I needed to hear the fact that it was just like, who is there to condemn you? Like, you can't even condemn you, you know? I can't condemn myself, you know? And, and, to, and to, to feel like for the first time it was like, it was like my, the anchor was not in, in how I looked as how I walked as a believer. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm scanning even further down the passage and, and, I, and I see this, this line that says um, uh, that we can come to him confidently knowing that whatever we ask we can receive because we, uh, we know his commandments and we do what pleases him. And I'm discouraged all over again. And I'm just like, okay, so this passage doesn't apply to me. And, uh, and this was what absolutely um, just uh, wrecked me was the, the, the line that said, um, and this is what God commands of us, to trust in the name of Jesus, to trust in the name of Jesus. And I was like, I was like, well, then that's it. Because, because what, what I need you supply, you know what I mean? So it's like, so like, I, if I need to trust in the name of Jesus, that's only a work that you can do. That's only something that you can instill in my heart. And so for me, it was like, it was like, okay, there's no one that can be against me, no word that I can say or hear in my own head. And, and you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is my confidence in coming before God is in the fact that he is faithful to put faith in me, you know what I mean? And so like, so like, you know, like we, we talked about, like, like when I was praying for my daughter and praying for this, this, you know, season, like God just, you know, make me need you. And in that moment I was like, God, I need you to even need you. Like I can't even, you know, I can't function in or out of my faith at all whatsoever. Um, unless you, unless you put it in me. And so that day, that day, I mean, there was just, and maybe a couple of days afterwards, but really, honestly, that day, it was line after line of just a song. And, and I told Tyler this, but, like, I, I had no intention of, like, sh showing this to anybody or even playing it today. But, um, but I, you know, 
for me, I needed, I needed that song and every single line I needed. Like God was just ministering to my heart, line after line of just, here's a promise, here's a promise, here's a promise. And it was just by the, by the end of it, I'm just like, I'm left with like this whisper, whatever this, whatever these truths were, whatever that was that I heard that I, you know, silenced all the lies. It just silenced it. A year of just, I don't know. I don't know where I stand. I don't have any clue. In a moment, God was just like, here's the truth, and it silenced it. And, you know, that was... Well, God works um, through real people to gift us, and I really believe this song is a gift. So I'm going to invite the band on the stage, and as... Jed sings this, feel total freedom. If you want to sit and just listen to the song, if you want to stand and engage in the song or stand and um, just let the song be sung over you, it really is uh, a gift to us. Standing across the earth 
just how you want me, Lord. I'm just waiting on you now. Cause I could have strength, I could be bold. But if I have not your strength.